This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. What's the new mantra? Get boosted now. Well, unfortunately, Newcastle can't make any appointments until January because the system doesn't work until then. In the box is Hayden. His delivery into the box is poor. Comes out to John Joe Shelby, former Liverpool player. Shoots into the far corner and scores. And as if today wasn't weird enough, Newcastle have scored against Liverpool. That's it, one six central. Is going through his repertoire. Antics on the touchline. He arches on the and they can't turn it home Liverpool the offside flag went up in the end anyway and then it's a poor pass into Mane inside the area goes forward comes back to Salah it's 2-1 and a chance to come forward for Murphy into the centre looking for Fraser and Alexander-Arnold gets there just ahead of the Scott and sweeps the ball away there's appeals from the Newcastle fans that that should have been a penalty oh brilliant what an effort Alexander-Arnold from the edge of the box slams it in he received it just left of the area yes it is the game day podcast live from Anfield and uh, Mickey Gray is alongside me we've just finished the Liverpool game we're going to get to that in just a second as we look back at all the week's action it's been a thrilling midweek some big score lines Manchester City in particular and some great goals but it's been dominated by the fact that so many games have been postponed. We've lost one on each of the three nights of midweek and we've lost five at the weekend. Now, Thomas Frank came out on Thursday and said that he thought there should be some sort of circuit breaker. Alex, you, you obviously have been following the story from a news perspective for talks for over the course of the last 24, 48 hours. Did the Premier League consider that? Is that still something that is possibly on the agenda because I understand it five have already gone as we speak now but one more at least could go before the weekend yeah I certainly don't think it will be the last of the postponements uh, either in the Premier League or the EFL who've seen their program for the upcoming weekend decimated as well I think at the moment the Premier League are pushing back on any proposals for this so-called circuit breaker I don't think Thomas Frank is the only Premier League manager or Brentford the only Premier League club thinking in those terms but at the moment the Premier League are adamant they will continue to review each match each postponement request on a quote case-by-case basis and I can see both sides of the argument I think if you could guarantee that by giving this circuit break all would be well again come Boxing Day and there'd be no future postponements then it would be a no-brainer. But as we know with this illness, it's developing all the time. There are no guarantees. So I think there's also an argument to be said, look, if you can play, let's carry on at the moment. Uh, The government haven't said that it isn't safe to play football matches. They haven't even said it isn't safe to play football matches uh, with a crowd. So I think it's a really difficult situation for the Premier League. I don't think they did themselves any favours in midweek by initially rejecting the request from Tottenham and Leicester to get that game called called off and then 24 hours later uh, having to agree to the request. I don't think they did themselves any favours by postponing the game between Burnley and Watford at such short notice. I do think they've done some favours by calling off these five games at the weekend in advance because what we don't want is fans that weekend before Christmas, travelling up and down the country only to find out their team aren't playing after all. So, listen, it's it's almost a no-win situation for the Premier League. 
How does it affect the players with so much uncertainty, you think, Mickey? Well, for instance, I was supposed to cover Burnley Watford. I got outside of the ground. So I'm sure that the Watford players and the whole squad would have travelled down to that game. They find out three hours before kickoff that the game is being cancelled because of COVID. I'm sure they must have known that anyway. But some of the games that Crookies just mentioned there as well, what I would say is, does it give you an advantage or a disadvantage to play your games or not to play your games? Now, certain managers, if you think about it, will be thinking, I've got two or three players injured. I could do with a two-week break but in the back of their mind. i around and saying that actually it's causing them more problems when they're not able to rotate their squad as maybe they would at this time of year. Therefore, adding to their injury list because they've got less numbers available because of COVID. But then, again, as Crookie said just there before, if you have a circuit break for two weeks, who's to guarantee that everything is going to be fine in two weeks' time? It's not. You can't give that guarantee. And that's a big worry we've got moving forward. We don't want to be coming into stadiums where there's no supporters again. We've been through that and it was not good. So it wasn't helpful then that the director or the head of uh, primary care, the director of primary care at NHS England, Dr. Nikki Kanani, said that, you know, we should avoid going to football matches. Well, therefore, are we to avoid going to pubs? Are we to avoid going to restaurants? Are we to avoid going to shopping centres? Again, it doesn't sit right with me. It's not the first time during this pandemic that football and footballers have been picked out um, as, as special cases. Yes, it's the national sport, but there's people who are going to be going to the cinema this, this weekend. There's people who are going to be taking their kids to ice rinks uh, this weekend that we know pop up at this time of year. So I think I think it's clumsy um, to pick out football individually as something that should be avoided because, listen, the Premier League clubs have got enough money to cope with people staying away. Uh, clubs in League Two and League One and even in the Championship haven't. You know, they rely on bumper attendances at this time of year. Clubs lower down the food chain will tell you Boxing Day traditionally is their biggest money earner. So, yeah, I'm not particularly happy uh, at all with those comments. The other thing I would say, Mickey's touched it there, we, we certainly don't want to go back to playing games behind closed doors. And I think the Premier League are also guarded against the fact that at some point, maybe early in the new year, there is the prospect and then have a lockdown. I, I think it would be naive um, to avoid that subject. And therefore, there could be a situation where they don't have the opportunity or the choice to play games because the government will take that decision out of their hands. And then you've got all the questions again about television companies, particularly abroad, as they understand it. The overseas rights holders um, will certainly look to claw some money back if football is stopped for a prolonged period of time. But ultimately, whilst the country is able to go about its business and has been instructed to do so, even if the scientists are turning around and saying you should limit your social contact and prioritise your social contact, Football has to continue because it is an outlaw. Therefore, there's no recompense for anybody. There's no furlough schemes like there were last time. There's no bounce back loans, etc., etc. It's almost locked down by stealth, which is what the Prime Minister's been accused of anyway. And meanwhile, football has to go on, despite the fact that the R rate of this virus is, is creeping up day after day, which is eventually going to end up being a problem, as we've already said. And we've seen a number of players, obviously, end up picking up uh, COVID. Van Dijk is out for the Newcastle game that we've just been at. The likelihood is because he's registered a positive test and so is Fabinho and Curtis Jones that they won't be able to play on Sunday. Diogo Jota actually has just told our reporter Declan McCarthy that he doesn't have a clue whether the game will go ahead on Sunday. Says he doesn't like football being cancelled because he loves to watch every game he can. And I think that's the feeling of most supporters. But it's got to be in a safe environment, hasn't it? 100%. Of course it has. You know, it's you have to bring everything into the equation here, Sam. You know, football supporters, as we've touched on, we want to see stadiums full, like we've just watched tonight. You know, that is, it's the theatre of it. You know, having a stadium, having an atmosphere and a ground. We want to watch football. The players have to be really careful. We know what's happened over the last week and a half, two weeks, with how many players have started to catch the new COVID. It's, it's awful to say... And then the families, you've got to bring everything into this package, the whole equation. But at the end of the day, the safety of everybody is at stake. So if we have to have this break, and if it works, fantastic. We solved the problem. We got there early. We, st- we sorted it out. If not, if we have to go two or three weeks without football, then so be it. We all love coming to the grounds. We all love watching football matches. And we're so pleased to have the Premier League back and supporters in grounds. But if we get to a point, which it looks like we are right now, because all these players now at certain clubs, the games that we've had cancelled so far, it's not going to get any better 
over the next few weeks unless we do something about it right now. Whilst discussing it on air with Adrian earlier on uh, on Thursday evening, I suggested that actually if they use this time for something specific, so if they said they're going to have a two-week break and used it to ensure that everybody who is now eligible to have their booster amongst the football uh, playing population had their booster, then allowed that to settle for a week or so so it was in their system and then got back to playing, then you could understand why they were deciding to stop things for a couple of weeks if they they haven't really got a plan of what they're going to do during that hiatus they might as well play the games they can play in order to stop the problems with the broadcasters etc etc and life going on about its business there are two points uh, to pick up on there i'll, I'll come on to the, the the vaccination rate and that statement made by the efl that suggested uh, 25 percent of players outside the Premier League, i.e. in the Championships League 1 and League 2, don't intend to be vaccinated. But I spoke to an executive at a club in the Championship and I mentioned to him about a possible circuit breaker. And he says the problem with that is a restart date is almost impossible to predict. And then clubs will need another three or four weeks to get their players back up and running, ready to return. So it brings its own pitfalls. But onto the vaccination, and I heard the start of your programme on TalkSport 2 on Thursday, uh, Adrian eloquently reading out Jurgen Klopp's programme notes. And I thought the discussion that you guys had on the back of that was fantastic and really important. You know, people, some people might say stick to talking about the football, but I think sometimes it's important, uh, even as a sports broadcaster, to come out of our lane and, and, and confront such an important topic. But I spoke to Ralph Hasenhutl on Thursday evening as well and asked him about that statistic that 25% of players in the EFL don't intend to be vaccinated. He was shocked the number was so high. He said at Southampton they have a programme of education um, and as a result of that, their players have been pointed out the, the benefits and any potential pitfalls of being vaccinated. And he said almost 100% of our players have been vaccinated and have been double jabbed and will be getting their booster. And I know Jurgen Klopp has said similar um, I guess we need to know are all Premier League clubs adopting the same approach uh, as Southampton and as, as Jurgen Klopp. And, and I think it's great when managers like Klopp and Hasen who to come out and aren't afraid again to come out of their lane and, and, and confront the topic head on because ultimately we need as many players as possible to be vaccinated to stop this virus spreading around clubs as it is like wildfire at the moment and to protect their own families. And I do wonder, Sam, it was something you raised in that conversation with Adrian and, and Mickey are we getting into a situation now where the Premier League, the EFL, the FA have to say to players, if you're not vaccinated, you're not playing. Stay away. Well, that may be a debate that comes up in the fullness of time. We should look back at some of the big results over the course of the midweek. I'll bring you this quote from Thomas Tuchel, who was asked if the season needs a break. He said this, I will not get involved in this sport politics. We are all worried about COVID. It is close to us. We've had four positives just today. Other games get cancelled. Ours didn't. So we have to do our best to win it. And we didn't. Here's the details. Great run made forward by James into the penalty area and he lost the shot too high. It was... Wonderful thinking there from the Chelsea wing-back, but the finish was lacking. James now in a central area for Chelsea, bearing down on goal, wide to the far side. Low shot across the face of goal, and it's just wide from Mason Mount, and Chelsea inches away once again. He finds James, wide towards Mount, breaks into the penalty area, and Mason Mount comes up with the opening goal. Free kick, which Gordon will take. And in swing, a high towards the far post. Great delivery! And Everton have the equalising goal! An extraordinary moment for Jared Branthwaite. The teenage defender has come up with the equaliser. And that is it. Boos from the Chelsea supporters. More drop points here at Stamford Bridge. But a heartening point for Everton. Chelsea won, Everton won, and Chelsea had 81% of the possession before opening the scoring through Mason Mount, only for Jared Branthwaite to level for Rafa Benitez's team. A magical moment for him, but Chelsea would have been thoroughly disappointed, Crookie, not to have taken the points against a Rafa Benitez side 
ravaged by injury and COVID suspension. Yeah, I made a point of watching uh, most of this game because obviously I knew you guys uh, were at Anfield and wouldn't necessarily have eyes on it. Chelsea were flat. They were stodgy. They were lethargic. They lacked invention. <laughs> Credit to Rafa Benitez because he set Everton up tactically very well. He used a couple of those youngsters Everton fans have been crying out for. And as you say, one of them came up with the goods in terms of the equalising goal. And they had chances, actually, Everton, to possibly go on and win the game. And um, if you compare their performance, Chelsea, not just in midweek, but in the last couple of weeks to that of Liverpool, who you've been watching against Newcastle and Manchester City hitting seven against Leeds... At the moment, they're just about hanging in there, Chelsea, in terms of the title race, but they're not doing any more than that. Well, Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel saying afterwards, defensively today, we had zero concerns. We conceded from a set piece. I can't break my head if we play like this in defence. They had zero chances to score, but did from a free kick. Okay, well done. We missed chance after chance, struggled to find a high rhythm in the second half. We didn't have anyone on the bench. We put the last cast in. Uh, last guys in that we had available and we are missing big personalities and quality quick point on that we must have been watching two different games because Everton had some really good opportunities on the counter-attack okay they may not have resulted on the goalkeeper having to make save that was more because Everton uh, misplaced the final ball than anything else but also he mentioned there about the lack of options on the bench they brought on Saul whose career in England continues to be a nightmare uh, Ross Barkley, who probably is only still at Chelsea because nobody else wanted him in the last transfer window. Is it a dereliction of duty on Chelsea's part that they've got those two midfielders and Conor Gallagher, one of their own players, is out on loan, tearing it up at a Premier League rival? Surely that has to go down as an error. They can't bring it back now, can they, until next season? I think that's, the, uh, that's what got signed in the contract. Yes, he has been brilliant, but then... Also, you have to ask the question, Crookie, is if he goes back to Chelsea, does Conor Gallagher get game time? Or do we forget about him within the space of three, week, three or four weeks? Well, at the moment, he would definitely be getting game time because they've got so many problems in that particular area of the field. But no one was to know that that was going to happen. I suppose the question is, should Chelsea have been a little bit more uh, no, generous with their foresight or a bit more thoughtful going forward into the season and thought that this was a possibility and that they would need an extra midfield player of real quality because they clearly don't fancy Ross Barkley. I mean, I suppose that one of the reasons they bought Saul in is because they knew that they were light in that area with Conte picking up so many niggling injuries. But aren't they known for that, Chelsea? You know, they, they, they nurture young players through and they give them their opportunities. They maybe give them a taste of first-team football. Then they go out on loan. Conor Gallagher, let's, look, he was at West Bromwich Albion. He came back from there. And then he was part of the squad, I'm sure, in pre-season for whether it was a week or two weeks. And he was good at West Brom, but he was nowhere near as good as he has. But is that now playing in a better team? A team that is adapted to the way he wants to play, whereas at West Bromwich Albion, he was just part of an 11. There's our system. Sort it out yourselves and try and stay in the Premier League. Now he's in in a side where Patrick Vieira's went, you're my star man. Alongside Zaha, you're my star man. You're the one who's going to make things tick for my team. We've got to try and give you as many opportunities to get into that final third and score goals and show us what Conor Gallagher is all about. We didn't get that opportunity too many times in the West Bromwich Albion shirt. Nope. He's now getting that opportunity, but we're now finding out he can do it. And we now find out that he can do it if he ever goes back to Chelsea. Um, we should talk about Everton because obviously this is a big moment for them. Rafa Benitez under huge pressure. Lots of debate about his position. He turned up at Stamford Bridge. He wasn't very popular at Stamford Bridge anyway. He was even less popular at Stamford Bridge just before the game when some Everton uh, supporter in the away end unfurled a banner which said, Rafa, get out of our club. Um, I mean, they're never going to take to him as one of their own. But surely results like this are going to help just smooth the passage for a little bit longer, Mickey. You're right. The word smooth, because as you two guys have just mentioned there before, the possession that Chelsea had in the game, it means nothing at the end of the day if you don't go on and win the football match, which they haven't done. But I think moving forward in the way that Everton have played, they're not going to be happy with seeing their team sitting back and soaking up pressure for 95 minutes, whoever they come up against, trying to nick a point or trying to win a football match. Even the Arsenal game, the second 45 minutes, you know, it was, it was the world-class goal that won that game for them. Their first win in 10 games or 11 games, I think it was. But, um, you know, this is Everton who've went out and spent millions. I know Rafa hasn't been able to spend those millions. Look, he brought in Townsend and he brought in Gray. 
And overall, I think they've been quite successful, those two players. I think they've been the good signings. But then he does the interview with. before the game tonight and says that he's spoken to the owners. I've got the, uh, I've got the backing of the owners. We know that we need to do something in January. We can't find ourselves in this situation again where if injured players are not in my squad, the squad's not big, big enough or the squad's not good enough to get us into even now the top half of the table. So do you think that means he's going to sell some of his bigger name talent in order to buy? I think he has to. Um, but as we've found out in the past, when these players are on good contracts of two or three years, the manager can go up to the player and say, look, you're not part of my plans moving forward. If you can find a club, you can find a club. But then the player then has the power to turn around and say, I will leave this club if you pay my three-year contract up and I can find another club for myself. Now that then puts Everton in a bigger situation of paying out players' wages before they've actually brought anybody else in. Um, Everton goalscorer Jared Branthwaite speaking after the game says, I can't put it into words how buzzing I am playing for this club. It means the world. And for those fans travelling on a Thursday night to come and watch us put a performance on like that, I'm buzzing. Getting a result against a top team like this. We worked on it in training yesterday. It's about the set piece from which they scored. I got a few chances around the back. I said to Anthony Gordon before the game, just keep delivering those balls in. And when it was coming in, I was like, Right, I better score here. <laughs> when he signed the contract the other boy, day, yeah. he's just signed a new contract with Everton. His family said, just remember how far you've come in the space of two years playing League Two with Carlisle, the side I joined when I was eight, and now I'm playing in the Premier League. Well done to him. Let's turn our attention to uh, Liverpool against uh, Newcastle United. Um, Liverpool won by three goals to one. Trent Alexander-Arnold scoring a cracking goal towards the end of that game. Um, they limited Newcastle to very few chances, but Newcastle went ahead in the game, Nicky. And although Liverpool had the better of the first half, it was a scrappy affair second half and Liverpool in the end doing enough to win the match. I, I don't think there's, there's, there's no doubt and there's not an argument there to say that Liverpool deserve to win the football match because they did. Um, for 45 minutes, they showed us how good they can be. Um, I think they had that mindset in the second 45 minutes where they came out and bravely probably thought themselves, this is too easy. You know, we're just going to go and breeze past Newcastle. And when it didn't happen for them in that second half, the game started to open up a little bit for Newcastle. And I think if they were a bit braver, they might have actually got something out of the game tonight. Yeah, a couple of controversial decisions. Yeah, penalties Eddie Howe's really upset about it. He says it feels unjust. He says the game should have been stopped before Liverpool's equaliser because John Joe Shelby put them in front of the Spectres ever from 25 yards. Then they equalised Liverpool thanks to a goal from Diogo Jota. But at that time, two players were down from Newcastle in the box. And it's, according to Eddie Howe, it had a huge bearing on the incident. He thinks the game should have been stopped. Do you? Well, it does because it's impacts. And as we said in the commentary, if there's a head injury, you have to have somebody there in a split second, whether it's at Stockley Park, somebody watching the game or one of the, the officials or even the Newcastle players, which they did try. They all swarmed around Mike Dean to say there's a head injury. Now, then that's down. What it, what it boiled down to in the end was it came down to the Liverpool players had the chance because I think certain players did see the incident. Now, it was two Newcastle players that come together. Grant that. We saw it at Manchester United a couple of weeks ago with David Hayer and Fred. Liverpool players could have stopped the incident right there. The Newcastle players tried to. Nothing happened at Stockley Park. We know that. So Mike Dean did not see the incident. So he let the game carry on. We saw the player down in the six-yard area. They eventually go and score the goal of Liverpool. Now, that's why it's a huge talking point, And that's why it's a bit controversial because at that point, whenever anybody scores a goal, it's controversial. But it's, it's the referee's responsibility to stop it if there is a head yeah. injury. And it's the referee and the assistant who should have made that call. The reason VAR can't look at it because there was no infringement. So it wasn't like someone made a foul for this incident to happen. Isaac Hayden says he did have a head injury. He was holding his head. He was dazed, apparently, according to Eddie Howe, for four or five minutes in the aftermath. But Mike Dean says he didn't see the incident he thought that uh, Hayden was holding his back, not his head. Well, that's where he needs that, a bit of help. From, that's where from you need VAR. a bit of help. You're completely yeah. right, Crookie. And off the top of my head, I might be completely wrong here, but wasn't it Mike Dean who was in charge of that David De Gea and Fred incident as well? Um, I think it might have been. You're asking me to remind, remember things that were two or three weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I'm not too sure if it was. But it. Those, but, are the, those are the situations that you get to in a, in a game where you think, if it's not the referee who sees it, somebody has to give him a shout or a call. In easier to say, there's an incident. Yeah, but the VAR, I suppose, by the letter of the law, um, 
following the IFAB protocol can only intervene if there is an infringement during the period in the build-up to a goal, not because the referee hasn't spotted a head injury. Maybe that's a loophole, Crookie. And also, without wanting to be deliberately um, antagonistic or, or uh, contraire, we saw with that Manchester United incident against Arsenal, David De Gea was feigning injury. Okay, There's no mm. question about it. He made himself look stupid. And the two players you've mentioned, they both carried on, didn't they, and played the rest of the game. Well, that's so, the I made in commentary to Mickey. It, it clearly wasn't a serious head injury. And we know now that players do go down too readily and they stay down if they think they're going to get an advantage out of it. Is this just the boy who cried wolf? And if he was dazed, as Eddie Howe says, for four or five minutes, should he have been able to carry on under concussion protocol? So, there, again, there's so many strands to this. But ultimately, Premier League players spend too much time rolling around on the floor when there isn't anything wrong with them. So it's very difficult for the officials to actually work out who is genuinely injured and not. Um, we should talk about Mohamed Salah because he's had a hand in goals for 15 consecutive games now. Um, equaling the record set by Jamie Vardy six years ago. And he was impressive in that first 45 minutes again, wasn't he? Every time he picked the ball up, you sensed a, a frisson of danger amongst the Newcastle back line. We, we, we touched on it before they kicked off, and I thought the fullbacks in Newcastle were going to get isolated. Well, while he was on the field, Jamal Lewis was isolated. There were so many 1v1 situations with himself and Mo Salah. And then the change came with Richie coming on because of the injury and the hamstring injury to Lewis. And it was a similar situation in that first 45 minutes. But I thought in the second half, Newcastle worked it out a little bit. And it was all down to a little bit of Liverpool being a little bit lackadaisy and a little bit scrappy, giving the ball away. But there's no question in his quality. You give him opportunities and he's a threat, whether he's creating opportunities for his teammates, whether he's scoring goals like he has done. He's been a part of it for the last 15 games, as you just mentioned there before. You know, I think he equals the record with Jamie Vardy. Sam, he just gets better and better. And I don't know, does he get the plaudits that he deserves? Because he, well, he is. should do. I think he does. He's with absolutely top class as a player. I think the same thing because he's absolutely terrific. I will say this, though. The biggest story of the night was the fact that Mickey Gray, Sunderland legend, was at one stage appealing for a Newcastle United penalty. <laughs> he was he was absolutely lost for words. When you couldn't quite believe how it hadn't been given uh, when Fraser was, appeared to to be brought down inside the penalty area. I think we've seen sort of replays after replays after replays. Trent Alexander Arnold. I think now, having seen the last replay, super super slow mo. It looks like Alexander Arnold gets the ball and takes the leg just afterwards. Anyway, uh, it wasn't given and Liverpool get all three points. We probably haven't learned too much about them tonight. There was a lot going on with Van Dijk having COVID and, and Fabinho having COVID as well. So disruption just before the start of the game for them. So maybe that sort of explains why the second half wasn't particularly great. But Firmino's back for them. So they, they would have enjoyed it. So let's look back at the rest of the week's action, including a Manchester City demolition of Leeds United on Tuesday night. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
Stewart sends it goalwards. It's gone in. Stuart Dallas couldn't keep it out on the line. It's only taken Manchester City seven minutes to hit the front. Comes back to Mahrez in space on this right-hand side. Curls it in, and it's headed in for number two. And Jack Grealish is back amongst the goals for Manchester City. They look relentless, don't they? And, and all of a sudden, you can see Jack Grealish. That goal will give him so much confidence. We talked about him beforehand. Rodri again for Manchester City. Lovely through ball to Brunner inside the area. 3-0. Magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. I've just had a text from a, a pal of mine, Leeds fan that's here. So I think we need an F1 race director. <laughs> wow, Manchester City 7, Leeds United nil. The worst result that Leeds have ever suffered in the Premier League era. In fact, you know, it eclipses a game that I was at many years ago when Portsmouth beat them 6-1 down at Fratton Park and even Hayden Fox scored that day um, and that was, <laughs> was the day there? after uh, yeah, that was the day after I'd been on the Ark Royal the HMS Ark Royal with the Leeds United squad Peter Reid was the manager I was they there all as went well to the Ark uh, Royal Alan Smith was on the boat so was Michael Dubry and Michael Bridges and all that lot they were all on the boat the prior day to before. the game this is the day before the match and I was on the uh, I was I was on the, the, the tour with them and covering it for, for local radio. And they were a rowdy bunch. They were a nightmare. They were taking the mick out of the people that were speaking to them, the, the people on the boat that were doing the talk and the tour of, of, of the Art Royal, which was an aircraft carrier, which was stationed down in Portsmouth. For whatever reason, Leeds had some connection to it, but I'm not entirely sure the reason behind that. But anyway, they were on it. They were all misbehaving and kept saying things like, I remember one of them shouting out, show us your guns, show us your guns. It was all sort of rowdy. And I came away <laughs> and I said afterwards, they're going to get battered tomorrow because they're just not, they're just not listening to Peter Reid. They weren't playing by the rules, whatever. And uh, someone said to me, that'd be ridiculous. Anyway, they did get battered, but they got battered a hell of a lot worse on Tuesday night. And you were there for that one. What did you make of it? And Bielsa's biggest ever defeat, I think, as well, wasn't it? Um, and, you, you know, the plaudits that Pep Guardiola and people like Pochettino. Did Pep come out afterwards and say Bielsa's still the best manager in the world? I don't think he did after that game. No, I think he was quite coy and quiet. I mean, if you even see him at the end of the game, he didn't really have any facial, you know, when he went across him, it was basically shake his hand and then he went off down the tunnel, Guardiola. But I think I've got to say, performance-wise, and Pep Guardiola said this over the last two and a half months, it's as good as his side have played since he walked through the door at Man City. That was up there with probably the best performance I've ever seen from a Man City team from start to finish. And if they're going to get better and better, this question about them having a centre forward has got to go away. They don't need one. Well, they didn't need one the other night because they scored seven goals. Foden, Grealish, De Bruyne, Mares, even John Stones got on it. But I tell you what, they'd half had a helping hand from the Leeds defence. That John Stones goal was pathetic. <laughs> the defending for that goal. Yeah, they had yeah. three chances to score before eventually they did. And the two people that had the opportunities during that move was Emmerich Laporte and John Stones, mm. two centre-backs mm. up attacking for Manchester City. Well, there was a couple of good saves before he actually stuck the ball in the back of the net, or certainly one from the header from Laporte. But, Where was uh, the Leeds defence? Yeah, they weren't anywhere, Sam, but I think they'd, they'd kind of Given <laughs> packed up, up their toys and left by that time, hadn't they? But it was, I, I worry for Leeds a little bit. Do you worry because Marcelo Bielsa demands so much of them that eventually after a period of time that is going to have an effect? I remember speaking to Liam Cooper and he said, you know, he makes me eat differently. You know, by, by that, hardly anything, by the way. Mm. Uh, you know, they've all lost so much weight and they're all finely tuned athletes now. But, you know, after three years, I mean, we all know what it's like to go on a diet for a couple of weeks. It's hard enough. Can you imagine being on a, the Marcelo Bielsa, well, you, Crookie doesn't, but, but <laughs> the Marcelo Bielsa diet for that long? Yeah, yeah. incredibly difficult. I think, well, look, your body adapts to it. The training regime that they've had since Bielsa walked through the door. Nobody likes to train twice a day, never mind three times a day. And that's what they've been doing. That's what they're used to. The players know exactly what's coming from day one up until this, this present day. They just got outgunned. They got outclassed. Uh, you can talk about the players that weren't in the starting eleven for, for Leeds United. I think the two that spring to mind are obviously Phillips and, and, and Banford. But the way that Man City worked them out and broke them down was was a joy to watch it really was and the way they move the ball is it, it's special I, 
personally don't think I've, we've seen a side like the way Man City play in the Premier League. Are they going to go down as one of the best sides we've ever seen in the Premier League? Well, only time's going to tell with that because they've made so many changes. You know, you go back to Yaya Torre time, Sergio Aguero time at Manchester City, Vincent Company, those squads. But that this what I'm seeing from Man City now is pretty darn special. Yeah, and uh, you know they lead the Premier League by a point from Liverpool. Those two seem to be slugging it out. Don't write off Chelsea just yet, but they look a little bit further off the pace. Crook, can you say something nice about Jack Grealish this week? Because he got on the score sheet. Yeah, but I think I'd have got on the score sheet if I was playing against Leeds on on Tuesday night, to be honest. I mean, listen, Mickey's waxed lyrical about Manchester City and they were exceptional. They are exceptional, no question about that. But Leeds don't half make it easy to play against at times. I mean, you were there right on the opening day of the season at Old Trafford. Manchester United put five past them and everybody was purring about United. Look how much they've struggled since. And Bielsa is supposed to be this super coach and Pep lords him. It's easy to lord a manager. You know, you're going to roll over every time you play them. But they were passing out from the back from minute one. It clearly wasn't working. They were three or four nil down. They were still trying to pass it out from the back. Surely there comes a time when even the fabled Bielsa, even with their injuries, has to say, look, there's damage limitation here. Let's not get humiliated. That didn't happen. They kept making the same mistakes. They did get humiliated. Yes, they had players out. They didn't have too many players out when they let in five at Old Trafford. They didn't have too many players out when they were battered by Liverpool early in the season. I think Bielsa has run his course at Ellen Road, and I think Leeds will be lucky because there will be three worse teams than them, but they're going to be looking over their shoulders right until mid-May. They've got to regroup because they host Arsenal on Saturday evening live on TalkSport 5.30. Well, hopefully, we saw a report earlier on Thursday which suggested that they only had 11 fit first-team players available for that game against Arsenal and two of them were goalkeepers. So do you think this game will take place? Well, how many of the absentees are due to COVID and how many are to, due to an injury problem? Because again, this goes back to the point that Mickey made right at the start of the pod. I think there needs to be more clarity. Teams can't just be calling games off because there is a pandemic, there is a COVID problem and because it suits them because they've got six or seven players out injured. I think the Premier League do need to get a handle of this situation and there needs to be a lot more transparency about the absentees. Yeah, maybe the idea of going in with a smaller squad, a bit like Nuno Espirito Santo last year, knowing the fact that the season was going to be slightly interrupted or slightly concertinaed because of the very nature of what's happened with the pandemic, is slightly negligent on behalf of clubs to decide to go with smaller squads because you're always going to be in a situation, especially with the number of injuries that have obviously been exacerbated by squashing the seasons together last year and the amount of football that everyone's played. The big squads are obviously going to be required at this time of year when people have played quite a lot of football. That certainly seems to be the case. The other game... Just before we move on, Sam, sorry, because you mentioned goalkeepers. And I know that a lot of clubs were advised this season, Southampton for one, go with an experienced third-choice goalkeeper. Don't let yourself go into the season with only two experienced goalkeepers because if they both get injured or they both get COVID, you're in trouble. Look what happened to Southampton. They ignored that advice. They've got young Harry Lewis on the bench. They don't want to use him, despite the fact he's been there for six or seven years. They end up picking up 40-year-old Willie Caballero. I think Aston Villa are in a similar situation if anything happened to their first-choice goalkeepers. Okay, and Aston Villa, obviously, the other team we're going to talk about because they beat Norwich City by two goals to nil on Tuesday night. Norwich City, um, I don't think they play particularly badly, but they never look like scoring a goal. Aston Villa, I thought, bossed the game, actually, from minute one, Mickey. I think Steven Gerrard's went in and you, you, you look for a reaction from your players. You ask the question when you walk through the door of why are we not winning football matches? I think it was five in a row before he got the job and, and Dean Smith was obviously playing against him for Aston Villa. And Steven went in, he got the reaction from the players. He's asked a lot of those players. He's getting the best out of the players. I think, what is it, four wins and two defeats? And they're starting to play a style of football that I think we associate with Aston Villa. They're on the front foot. They're exciting. They're certainly getting the crowd going when they play at home games. And Stevens taken to the Premier League as a manager like a Dr. Water. He really has. And I think, you know, they're exciting. They could have actually got something against Man City. I'm not saying they, they played 50-50 well, against, against Man City. Liverpool. It was a tight game against Liverpool as well. Yeah. 
but I think they were second best in that one. So I think, you know, Liverpool have said Jurgen Klopp was kind of, he was nice in front of Cameron saying, let's, let's put it this way. You know, we, we got the goal. Worried, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think Steven's to... got to know that himself when he comes up against Man City, when he comes up against Liverpool, they are going to be second best, but the teams around Aston Villa and the situation they found themselves before Steven walked in the door was the next couple of games that are coming up, if we lose them, we're going to get dragged into the bottom three. Well, well at least turned it around and they're in the top half now. Well, they haven't been dragged into the bottom three. They are in the top half. They're 10th at the end of this week. 22 points from 17 games. Wolverhampton Wanderers moved up to eighth in the table uh, thanks to a first win in five matches. They beat Brighton. Crook, you were commentating uh, for Talk Sport. Um, were they worthy of their win? Yeah, I think they were. Um, I think Graham Potter was honest enough afterwards to admit that Brighton lacked a bit of guile, lacked a bit of creativity. They missed Neil Mopay up front, actually. I know he's had a bit of stick this season for the chances he's missed, as well as scoring some spectacular goals. But they didn't really have a focal point um, without him. He wouldn't have played at Manchester United on Saturday either. But Wolverhampton Wanderers, they're not the most pleasing on the eye, but defensively, they're absolutely terrific under Bruno Large. That back three that he's assembled. Max Kilman, who started every game in the Premier League. Connor Cody, who looks back to his best after maybe a bit of a wobble towards the back end of last season. And Roman Saiz, who got the goal, was imperious in both penalty areas. They've got the two wing-backs who, who love to bomb on. Neves and Matinho are a really good partnership in midfield. If they could get it right at the other end, if they could get Jimenez fully fit and not getting himself sent off with stupid double bookings then I think they could be a real force this season, Wolves, and maybe dark horses for a European place because you look at the games they've played, they were unlucky to lose in stoppage time against Liverpool. It was a dodgy penalty against Manchester City, so they've played some of the big clubs and haven't been rolled over. I think they're going to keep that defensive solidity. Adama Traore is such a frustrating player and Bruno Large spent a lot of the game berating him, having brought him on earlier sub and then taking him off at the end of the game. Traore wasn't happy. So they just need to work on that attacking side of the game, but defensively, they're going to give themselves a real chance of picking up points. I was really impressed with them. Okay, and uh, what about uh, Brighton? Without a winning 12 matches in all competitions now, what is Graham Potter doing to rectify that? I think it's difficult for him to do too much to rectify it when you look at the absentees. I mean, they had all three first-choice central defenders either um, injured or suspended. Um, Lewis Dunk, the good news is that he doesn't need surgery, so he won't be out for as long as they first feared. I think when they get their first 11 back, they will start winning games again. No wins in 11 for the first time uh, in their history as a top-flight team. Doesn't look great on paper. But I think the previous 10 games, maybe that didn't really reflect the way they were playing. They were poor um, in midweek. And I think, actually, they won't be too disappointed that Manchester United are unable to field a team this Saturday. It will give them a chance to regroup and a chance to get some players back. Uh, right, Crystal Palace 2, Southampton 2, uh, Ralph Harsenhutl limping towards safety once again. But James Ward-Prowse scoring yet another free kick, whipping it into the top corner. Brilliant for Southampton. He's a great technician, isn't he? There's not many better technicians, I think, have played in the Premier League when it comes to set pieces and free kicks around the edge of the 18-yard area. I mean, the one that you probably look at is David Beckham. But I think his technique... Well, he copies Beckham. That's what it, where it all came from. And, you know, he well, he copies him and does it better in my eyes, Sam. I think he's fantastic. I think well, he's always a threat when he's around the edge of the air. Yeah. And there's another player. Is it Brojo who got the, the Brogia, other goal yeah, for them? Right? The so goal. there's another player at Chelsea. Now, they're having problems with centre-forwards who can't score goals. <laughs> so everybody wants to talk about Conor Gallagher and why he's not going back to Chelsea. Well, why not Brojo then? That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, Ralph Harsenhutl, um, uh, would you trust him with your dogs? <laughs> That's my line, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> because, you, because you can't hold on to a lead. 16 points dropped from winning positions this season. And 73 since he took over as Southampton manager. That is a pretty damning statistic. And a lot of fans now are starting to question his in-game management and the the changes that he makes off the bench. I think it's a good point for Southampton, especially after conceding inside two minutes. They were all over the shop for the first 20 minutes. It was never a foul, by the way. 75 goals in 2021 in the Premier League. 75. I mean, listen, it's not a great statistic, but 
they're a work in progress. They're a young team. I'm a big fan of Broger. Um, Ward Prowse actually had a poor season. Don't tell Adrian Durham, who I can see over Mickey's shoulder, because he is the <laughs> number one member of the James Ward Prowse fan club. But that goal might just spark him into life. I wonder, uh, Mickey, if he was suffering psychologically as a result of losing his place in the European Championship so late in the day. Ward Prowse. Yeah, but wasn't was he? Did he think he was actually going to be a part of the squad? That I'd ask. I'd ask that question first because I think because Gareth Southgate named was it twenty five? I think or twenty six players wasn't it? There was two or three extra players. Jesse Lingard being one of them. I don't think personally that he thought he was going to be a part of that twenty three man squad. So I don't think that's an excuse for James Ward. If it is an excuse, then Crookie then. As a player, you, the first thing you do as a player, if you want to improve yourself and get better, is you say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll prove to you that I should have been in that squad. Yeah, Palace doing well again. 2-2 the draw there. And as a result of that, Palace now 11th in the table. 20 points from 17 games. I think Patrick Vieira will be pretty happy with that. Oh, the big controversy of the night on Wednesday came at Arsenal. Arsenal 2-0 winners. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang stripped of the captaincy, not in the squad. Lacazette had a penalty, missed it. Shouldn't have had it in the first place because uh, he wasn't fouled. It was another poor penalty being given by the officials, not overturned by VAR. Soufal ended up being sent off. And the reason he was sent off, Mickey, is because you can't overturn a yellow card on VAR, even if it leads to a red. Well, these are the decisions that, you know, they've been set in place, haven't they? We can't do anything about whether they're going to get looked at moving forward is something that we've probably got to talk about. The Abamyang thing, if I can quickly touch on that. Look, I was a captain at Sunderland for four and a half years. Did you ever get stripped? I'm talking about I didn't get stripped of the captaincy until Mick McCarthy came into the club, but he'd already told six or seven players that we were going to leave the club. Right. But this has been a massive thing, right? The, the big thing and the disappointing thing for me with Abamyang is whether it was he went to see his mother and he came back late. There was another time where I think he missed the coach to go to one of the games. Yeah, there might have been something else as well. Captaincy in, in football is not like rugby. It's not like cricket. It's one of your experienced players, probably one of your better players. You have club captains, you have captains. But they don't have many experienced players. That's why they're leaning on him. And that experience... He has been hung out to dry team. because his form dipped. They want to get him out of the football club. It's got nothing to do with him losing that captaincy. Really? Absolutely. So you think it's just a, a captaincy's captaincy? It's great. It's a proud moment to wear a captain's armband for whatever club you're at. It's a proud moment. But that's as far as captaincy goes in, in Premier League football or any type of football in the in the UK. It's and, not and, like rugby and, and cricket. Choosing which end to kick towards. There you go. That's the biggest decision you've got to make. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, Smith Rowe on the score sheet. Martinelli on the score sheet. Look, they might not have the most experienced squad, Arsenal, but the youngsters. Very, very important to them. Saka setting up the Smith-Rowe goal as well. Another assist for him. He's been terrific for them this campaign. I think when you've got so many younger players, you're going to get inconsistency. Mikel Arteta probably will guide them into the top eight, six possible, but they're not going to break the top four, are they? And West Ham United might not either. That might be an opportunity now for Manchester United to take advantage once they get up and running again and start playing again. If you were to pick your top four now... Who would it be, Crook? Say it, Crooky. I think United will finish in the top four. And I'm just wondering (laughs) now, with the wobble that Chelsea are having, all of a sudden, is third place up for grabs for Manchester? Did I I say in commentary tonight, before the game kicked off, Manchester United will catch Chelsea? Uh, You did say that. But then again, we didn't know about that massive row that happened in the canteen. (laughs) Could you just tell us about that massive row that happened in the canteen? I don't know what you're talking about. Is this this the Paul Pogba exclusive that I've been told to to ask Mickey about? It's unbelievable. I didn't didn't read the bottom of it, but here you go. I couldn't believe the breaking news that was coming out of the Carrington canteen. (laughs) And basically, he said to us, you're not going to believe this, lads. It's all kicked off at Carrington in the canteen today. Ralph Ranyuk and Paul Pogba (laughs) Apparently, Pogba doesn't eat meat. There was only one piece of fish left. And, and Ralph, Ralph took it, knowing Pogba wouldn't eat anything else. Apparently, though, it is the first time that Pogba has fought for his place all season. <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke that someone sent to Mickey. 
Mickey thought it was a genuine exclusive, stood up in the press box, got his megaphone out, like telling everyone about it, almost tweeted it. Would have been a disaster. Would have been a disaster. He didn't read the last line. <laughs> what sensational stuff. What with that and toilet breaks at half time, I've had a bit of a nightmare tonight. Yeah, it, it, during the mid, midpoint of the uh, second half, he said, uh, "He said, yeah, uh, yeah, I hadn't finished my toilet break at half time." <laughs> Which again, not something we need to so, know. So, anyway. so, what did you do? <laughs> you don't want to know. Listen right. out for HJ on Friday. Can I just ask you a quick question? We've talked about the top four, the bottom three. Newcastle are going to the championship, aren't they? They're going to get relegated. Uh, give me a quick look. Yeah, Newcastle, Norwich for me, and I think Wofford. Okay, all right. Thank you very much, Mickey Gray, for joining us on the Game Day podcast live from Anfield. You know we're live at the football ground because, guess what? You can hear the lawnmowers in the background. <laughs> Crookie, thank you very much for staying up late to bring us all the latest news. We do hope there is some football at the weekend. We hope at the moment we're going to get to bring you Leeds against Arsenal on Saturday afternoon at 5.30 on TalkSport and at 3 o'clock Aston Villa's game we hope that will be on as well they're due to play against Burnley that kicks off at 3 o'clock it should be on TalkSport this weekend uh, make sure you keep in touch with the TalkSport app and stay across all the breaking news with us and we'll be back <laughs> on Monday morning to review what action we have had. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.